Uh, today we're talking about this topic here, the rapture of the church, teaching topic about the rapture of the church. There's a lot of debate about this topic. We're going to weed through a bunch of things. I don't plan on teaching uh, incredibly long, roughly about 30 minutes. I do my best to not go any longer than that. This is a topic I can easily get carried away in, and I think I have enough material to cover a couple weeks. And so if I don't finish it all, maybe in the near future, I'll catch up with it. And so the rapture of the church, a lot of the information that comes from this is from other people. Hope you understand that. Hope you understand that a lot of what we teach here and what I teach, Pastor Bill teaches, we're standing on the shoulders of, of great men who have done a lot of research. And, you know, so when you see this, you know, please, I, I know you don't think I know all this, hands down. And, but a lot of the research and different things have been done uh, by, other, by other people. And we're grateful to God for the resources that we have readily available. And so we don't have to spend 500 hours a thousand hours, like some of these people who actually produce this material. Uh, one of the books that I use in research, uh, the two main ones I would say would be uh, by Dwight, I think it's Dwight J. Pentecost, Dwight J. Pentecost, um, Things to Come, Things to Come. I believe we have it over in our bookstore. Um, if not, we'll get it. I highly recommend it. Anything that has to do with uh, eschatology, anything whatsoever, you want to get that book, and he covers it. The other one that I like to use is Ryrie's Basic Theology, and that is a really base level, very easy to understand. Things to come, he's a little bit more up there, and sometimes I read a, a paragraph, and then I think I didn't get that, and you got to go back a few more times to get it. But Ryrie Basic Theology, it's really an overview of all the Bible doctrines, really just practical stuff, and of course other res resources as well. Um, but I do want to encourage you to look at some of these things. There's no possible way I can uncover. I mean, it's the life work of these folks that they pour into these books, and we really just hit some of the top things that they have and whatnot. And so I hope this will be a, a blessing to you as we check it out for a few minutes. So what is the rapture? You'd be surprised about how many folks don't really know what the rapture is or what it entails. Maybe they've heard the term before, but they're not really sure about all that goes into it. I know I'm speaking to veterans tonight who could probably teach this lesson uh, backwards for me, but there's also folks who may be newer, newer in the faith or uh, haven't really studied on this topic that much. So we're just going to cover from the basic things, and I think there'll be something for everybody in the lesson today. So what in the world is the rapture? Well, the term rapture is not found in the Bible. That shocks some people, that the word rapture is not found in the Bible. You say, well, why do we study it, and why do we come up with it, and why do we use the terminology if it's not in the Bible? Well, the principle, of course, the principle behind it is in the Word of God. However, just the word that we associate with it isn't, and I'll explain why in just a minute. Something similar to this is like the word trinity, the word trinity. The word trinity is not in the Bible. Can't find it. Maybe in some of these newer translations, maybe. I, I don't know, but I know in the King James Bible, it's not in there. And by the way, if you ever talk to a Jehovah's Witness, they'll be quick to call you out if you use the word trinity, because they'll say, this is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So when you, I'm going to give a piece of advice. When you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, use the word Godhead instead. The word Godhead is in the Bible, and it's assuming the same word as the Trinity. Godhead, Romans 1, I believe Paul used it a couple other places. Um, he was referring to the invisible things of the world are, are clearly seen and understood. 
by creation, even his eternal power and Godhead. And of course, three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, again, this is just, I'm, I'm trying to relate the word rapture. Although the term is not there, the principle definitely uh, is. And so, rapture, the definition is, it's a state or an experience of being carried away or taken away. And the English word uh, that we use comes from a Latin word, rapio, which means to seize or to snatch. So we use the Latin word for it. And with this in mind, of course, the rapture of the church means the carrying away of the church from earth to heaven. The Greek word we get rapture from, of course, our Bible being translated from Greek to English, not from Latin to English. Uh, we get the word rapture from is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Here it is, which is translated caught up. So we don't use the word rapture because rapture, we get that from a Latin word. This is a Greek word here. The translation comes out to be caught up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Those are encouraging words. Now, the Greek word, it translated in harpazo, which means to snatch or take away. Again, the Greek word and the Latin word that we get the word rapture from, they both are meaning the exact same thing, to snatch, to take away. And so I'm going to give you some examples of other places in Scripture to give us an idea of why we get the conclusion that of caught up. Well, there's some other examples where this has been used before. It says, and when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. That was the eunuch, saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, after they were baptized, the Spirit caught him up. He was taken away. Sounds a lot like the rapture. Of course, uh, this is Paul writing as well. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such a one caught up in the third heaven, how that he was again caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So again, that's the same thing. It's a rapture. It's a rapture, not the rapture, but a rapture that took place. So what's going to happen at the rapture? What will happen? Well, the return of Christ. But remember, this is not to be confused with the second coming. Sometimes people have these two things mixed up together because maybe we use some of the same, same terms. But it's not to be confused with the second coming, meaning that the rapture of the church is going to take place, then the tribulation is going to happen, then after that is the second coming of Christ where he's going to establish the millennial reign, a thousand years of Christ ruling on earth. So the millennial, right before the millennial reign of Christ, when Christ comes back, that is the second advent of Christ. So the rapture, even though we're looking for the Lord, we're waiting to hear the sound of the trumpet, it is not the second coming, okay? But it is going to be somewhat of a return of Christ, but he's going to come for the believers. Um, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. A resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. It says in the second part of the verse, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There's a rapture of living believers. By the way, let me, let me just mention back to, uh, again, what I, what I had for point number two. There's going to be um, 
uh, resurrection of the dead, the bodies of the dead. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody when they're praying, they'll say that, oh, you know, thank you, Lord. Somebody will pass away at a funeral and they say, oh, thank you, Lord, that so-and-so, you know, he's got new legs now. He's running around. <laughs> That's not exactly biblical, okay, because that hasn't happened yet. They don't have their eternal bodies. The resurrection of the dead hasn't happened yet. And so they don't have that. So anyways, don't make that mistake, okay? I mean, it's not the biggest mistake in the world, but uh, kind of look like you know what you're talking about, right? The rapture of living believers. So after the dead are raised, they get raised first, then the rapture of living believers, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. But also there is going to be an eternal reunion, an eternal reunion together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's pretty good. So it's an eternal reunion, not only... It's a reunion with Christ, we would say, but it's also a reunion with the people that we love. And I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to go down, except how the Word of God tells us in Scripture, but there might be some praising God in there. It'll be so fast, we may not even know what happens, but you'll be, if the rapture does happen in our lifetime, we'll be right up there with our loved one, and it's an eternal reunion, meaning that there's nothing that's going to separate us ever again. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So there's various theories about the rapture, and I do say theories here. Good people do disagree on this, by the way. Please understand that. Good people disagree about the rapture and how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And someone's right, someone's wrong. And that's just the way it is. And so I've heard pastors say he's had people come and they've said, well, you know, what happens if you're wrong about the rapture? It says, well, I guess I'm going through the tribulation. I mean, I guess that's about it. But the most evidence that we have lies in the, in the Bible, lies with the pre-tribulation rapture theory, that the rapture is going to happen before the seven-year tribulation. I mean, that's where the most, so Pastor Lytell, he, we talk about this every now and then, and he says, the way I like to think about it, you maybe have heard him say this as well, is, is if you had a brick for every argument. And so for the pre-tribulation tri, pre, pre theory, you put a, a block for everything. And then you took, for the mid-trib, you put a block for everything. And then, and then uh, the post-trib, you put a block for everything. And maybe even this partial rapture, which I don't even think there's any blocks for that. But <laughs> I'll tell you about that in a minute. But after you got done laying all the blocks down, the most blocks would be in the pre-tribulation rapture theory. And so we say, wow, the most blocks are here. This is kind of what we're going for. And there's also some other reasons that we're going to get into uh, behind that. But again, good people. I mean, I know a handful of folks that, that disagree about how the rapture is going to happen. I mean, we're still brothers in Christ. We still love the Lord. And, you know, if we get raptured up together, I'm just going to kick him back down, say you go through it. and you can, No, I'm not going to do that. Just kidding. Not going to do that. You stay there. You can, you can catch up at the, you go through all that stuff. You wanted to, right? You wanted to. And anyway, so the partial rapture theory, the partial rapture theory. Now this view, I'm not going to get all the way uh, into it, but generally the people who hold to this view believe that people are going to be raptured out at different times during the tribulation. Some people, it's going to happen all throughout the tribulation, and it has to do with how spiritual you are. So we're going to all know who's real spiritual and who's, real, who's not spiritual. I mean, 
Not really sure where they get this from, but seems to be the case. And so that I guess when you hit a certain point in your Christian life through the tribulation, boop, you get taken out. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. And so, anyway. Pre-tribulation rapture theory, of course, that the rapture will happen before the tribulation, the mid-trib. At the halfway point, three and a half years, there's a group of people who believe that the rapture is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation. And then, of course, the post-tribulation uh, rapture theory that it's going to happen right at the end, right before Christ returns for the second coming. And so I, I was tempted, and I am tempted, to go through and talk about each one of these things more in detail. But I say I'm tempted, and I'm not going to do it. I don't have anything on any one of those other topics besides the pre-tribulation rapture theory, which we believe is because I don't want anybody to get mixed up in what we believe. I don't want somebody to think, oh, well, no, Mr. Chris said that this was, this was the right way. And I said, oh, no, I was, I was talking about that, that view that we don't believe. I don't want that to happen. It's, it's the idea of, it's the idea of uh, you know, when people who want to spot counterfeit bills, what do you do? You have them just get used to the real thing, the real thing. And then when a counterfeit one gets slipped in there, they can pick it out because they've handled hundreds of thousands of bills. And so they know when a counterfeit one comes by. So... In theory, if we teach what the Bible teaches about the pre-tribulational rapture theory, that when something else comes along, you'll be able to say, whoa, that doesn't sound right. I don't think that's what the Bible says. And so, as we saw uh, recently, that, you know, even uh, when it comes to, to somebody's passing, somebody died, somebody didn't die, so you knew what I'm talking about, uh, even that kind of stuff can get confusing. And anyways... That's kind of inside joke. Love you guys. <laughs> okay, I'll put your minds at ease because all you interesting people want to know. There was confusion. Somebody thought that I said somebody died, but they didn't die. And so, of course, the word got out that somebody had died, but they're still living. They're still alive. They're still here. And so we don't want that about any of these other theories. We don't want you to think something that isn't. So we're just going to the pre-tribulational rapture theory. Okay. Pre-tribulationism teaches that the rapture of the church, both living and the dead, it's going to happen before the seven-year tribulation. Also referred to as the 70th week of Daniel, if I talk about that at all. And that has to do with, of course, the book of Daniel, chapter 9. The pre-tribulational rapture rests on, uh, rests on one major premise, and that is the literal method of interpreting the Bible. That is very important how you interpret the Word of God because it leads to what you believe about the Word of God. Pre-tribulationalists believe in a dispensational interpretation of the Word of God. I do have a lesson, another teaching lesson that I may do in here if I get the opportunity to teach again in here. I had it ready for my Sunday school class recently, but it was on the seven dispensations. And dispensation just is a way of systematizing things, and essentially it's wrapped up that God deals with different people in different ways at different times. That's the easiest way I can sum it up. And so he deals with, of course, the church age different than he did with Israel. And there is a distinction between that. And we are dispensationalists at Gospel Baptist Church. And, of course, with that in mind, the church and Israel are two distinct groups for which God has a divine plan. 
They do overlap slightly, but they are distinct from each other. They have two totally separate purposes. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. The majority of the lesson, the rest of it, I should say, that we're going to look at tonight is going to be arguments for a pre-tribulation rapture. Arguments for a pre-tribulation rapture. A consistency of interpretation. There has to be a consistency of interpretation. What I mean by that is, let me give you some examples here. Premillennialism, we're not, I, I switched on you. I know I switched, but I switched for an example. Not going to confuse you. We're not going to really get into this, but I'm using it as an example, and you'll see why. Premillennialism uses the literal method of interpretation. If you literally take the Bible for what it says as what it means, okay, what it says for what it means, unless it says otherwise, you're going to come up with a premillennial that Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth and reign on a literal 1,000-year reign, okay? But if you don't, if you take the figurative method, you can come up with amillennialism, which ah meaning like atheist, not, not known, that Christ is going to return after that. When you take the figure, meaning that, I mean, the difference is that Christ really isn't coming back. It's more of a spiritual thing, that he's really not going to set his feet down on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives really isn't going to split in two from north to south. But we believe what the Bible says. We believe that that's actually going to be a physical return of Christ. So there is an importance there in how you interpret the word of God. If you take it that it's all just allegory and that, you know, oh, I think there's, there's some, you know, they're just trying to paint a picture there for us, kind of that we fill in the blanks how we want. No, no. The Bible means what it says, unless it says otherwise, which in very few places it does. So with that in mind, post-tribulational, I'm going to link the two together in just a minute, so please don't lose me. So now we're back to the tribulation. So post-tribulation, they use the figurative method. The figurative method, method they use the that the book of Revelation, either it's a historical thing that kind of already happened or that it's a future event, but they're going to spiritualize the events that happen. That it's not, everything's not really going to take place exactly how the Bible says. It's just kind of more of a, a spiritualizing of those events. Mid-tribulationism, they kind of use a figurative, a, a figurative method of interpretation and also a literal, meaning that first half, they say it's, it's figurative, it's figurative that, yes, the tribulation is going to happen, uh, the church is going to be here, but then they switch their method of interpretation, which is bonkers, crazy. They switch once the three and a half years are up, and they switch back to the literal interpretation. There's got to be some consistency, and of course we have the pre-tribulation method uses, I'm sorry, uses the literal method of interpretation. And so what you can see is the interesting part here is if we look at these right here, we got, I'm going to do something. You going to do something fancy for you. Watch this. You got this guy right here. Whoa. See that? You didn't know we could do that, did you? That guy right there, he may be premillennial. So he's going to use a literal method of interpretation. But then when it comes to viewing the rapture, he's going to switch his method of interpretation to figurative. There's no consistency. When we read the Bible, we ought to use one method of interpretation and the same thing of course the mid-trib guy does that they switch they flip-flop back and forth what it seems to me is i'm just going to take the word of god and twist it to mean what i want it to say it's a slippery slope it's a slippery slope then you start getting into uh the gospel and you say oh the gospels the four god well jesus really didn't do that that was more of a figurative i mean this is where people go with it 
You have to be consistent. And so when you are consistent, when you are consistent, you can come up with no other thing than the pre-tribulational theory, which is the literal method of interpretation. So the nature of the tribulation. The Old and New Testament words that are used to describe the tribulation period, we're going to look through some of these to give you an idea during the tribulation what's going to take place, but there's a reason I'm going through all these. I know we're not talking really about the tribulation very much. We're talking about the rapture, but the two things link together. I'm going to tie it in after we look at the words. So we have the word wrath, probably the most common word used to describe the tribulation. Revelation 6, and he said unto the mountains... And said unto the mountains and rocks, fall on us, this is the kings and the people of the earth, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Oh, I didn't have you shown that. I was looking at it, but you didn't get to see it. Sorry about that. Here you go. You get to watch this one. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, this is judgment, and give to him. For the hour of his judgment is is come so there's wrath there's going to be judgment it's not looking like it's going to be a very fun place to be here on the earth during that time isaiah says come my people enter thou into the chambers and shut thy doors about thee hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed for behold the lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity remember that we'll talk a little bit about the purpose of the tribulation if we get there tonight. The earth to disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. It's also a time of punishment. Isaiah 24 says, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and the, trans and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. It shall come to pass and in that day the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high in the kings of the earth and upon the earth. It's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, which is another theme we'll cover as well. Alas, in that great day, there's none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, referring to Israel, a time of Israel's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. They're going to go through the tribulation period, but the nation of Israel, of course, will not pass off the scene from that they'll make it through and of course destruction as well joel 115 says alas for the day for the day of the lord is at hand and as the destruction from the almighty destruction shall it come darkness joel 2 2 a day of darkness and of gloominess and a day of clouds and thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains a great people and a strong there hath not ever the like neither shall be more after it, even to the years of many generations. And here's the conclusion about all that. The tribulation is going to be a time of wrath. It's going to be a time that God's judgment is poured out upon mankind. The global warming people are going to go nuts. It's going to get hot. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of earthquakes. They're going to think it's our fuel system. They're going to have a bunch of reasons why. But I don't think, I think during that time, everyone's going to realize what, what's happening. I think people are going to know. They're going to shake their fists up at God, curse God. Revelation 3.10 says, Because thou hast, this is why we're wrapping it up together, all those things. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, 
which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. What's one of the main reasons why we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture? Is because that God is not going to have us to suffer the wrath to come. Another verse right along that lines is, uh, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as, as a thief in the night. These people, they knew the Old Testament. They knew what the Old Testament said. They knew about the day of the Lord and about the trouble that was going to come. And he says, for God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. They were confused. They were confused and that they, they thought that they were like living during the tribulation. From everything we can gather, uh, especially in Second Thessalonians, that they were they thought they were living during the, they were facing such heavy persecution that they thought, well, this must be it. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And so, but God has not appointed us unto wrath. So the scope of the tribulation will go through five minutes. We'll do five more minutes, and that'll be it. This period is most directly towards Israel. Who's going to be involved during that? Jeremiah 37. Alas, for the day is great, as I mentioned before, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And Daniel 9.24 says, uh, God says to the prophet, Daniel, he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And of course, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, make it clear that the church was a mystery during the Old Testament. The church was not involved with the first 69 weeks of Daniel. Then the church age took place. And if we weren't really involved with the first 69 weeks, why would we assume that we would be involved really with the 70th week? Are there still going to be people who get saved during that time? Yes, absolutely. But, but generally speaking, the church age at that point is over. The dispensation of the church age is over. The people in the Old Testament, it was a mystery. It is referred to as a mystery. They didn't see this coming, this thing we have here, the church age. They did not know it was coming. They thought the return, that, that Christ would come. I mean, they weren't expecting him to die. What were they expecting Christ to do? They were expecting him to go and that he was going to free them from their bondage of the, Roman, of the Roman government and that he was going to set up his kingdom. And when he died, they were sorrowful as we talked on Sunday about the resurrection of Christ. And so when they looked in the future at what the scripture said, it's kind of like some of you have been out to the, to, the, to the Rocky Mountains, let's say, to the Rocky Mountains. And as you look out, you've been out there, Mr. Dale? Nice. And as you go out there, you can look and see a mountain range right in front of you. And then there's a set of mountains behind it. And it looks like they're right there, close together. But if you were to take a helicopter or an airplane and fly over that, you would see that there may be 50, 60, 100 miles between the two mountains. But from your perspective, they look just so, they look like they're touching. That's what the nation of Israel was doing when they saw Christ coming, that the lamb coming. They thought that all of this was just going to happen right here, but it wasn't. The church age, this is a mystery. And so we weren't involved with those first 69 weeks. And we're not, I believe, going to be involved with the 70th week of Daniel, which is the time of tribulation. The church age kind of steps off the scene. And the nation of Israel, God's agenda with the nation of Israel picks back up. There's people out there that try to fuse the two together that because Israel rejected Christ, that the church took over for Israel. Not the case. 
God made specific promises to Israel that have not been fulfilled yet. Two of them, for example, are uh, the promise to Abraham and that they were going to get this land. They've never possessed all the land that they were supposed to get. They haven't had it up to this point. Also, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. People, again, if you take the Bible figuratively, they try to explain it. Well, yes, well, God's on, Jesus is on the throne now. No, no. He's going to literally sit on the throne of David. And so, oh, I already mentioned this as well. Every major passage on the subject of the tribulation deals with God's plan for Israel. Matthew 24, Daniel 12, Luke 21, Mark 13, Jeremiah 30, Revelation 7. There's a whole lot of stuff to this topic. Um, We'll pick up on some of this maybe next time I get to teach. Um, Maybe next Wednesday if uh, Pastor Bill isn't back yet. But we'll look at the purpose of the tribulation. Got quite a few other things to go over. Hope this was a little bit of a blessing to you. We'll cut it off there. Seems like a good as, uh, good spot as any to stop. And so I know there's a lot of questions that it comes to this topic. But as I said before, there's a lot of good material out there on it. And so if you need help uh, getting directed to material, that'd be good. And that'd be according to the Bible. Let me know, and I'd be happy to help you out in that area. Let's pray, and then we'll move into our prayer time. Lord, we thank you for uh, the Word of God. And people for thousands of years haven't had copies of the Word of God in their language, and we're thankful for the printing press. And uh, just, I mean, we, we take it for granted so often. We have Bibles sitting everywhere, and most of us seldom, seldom even look at it. And uh, there's folks all around the world who'd be dying to have a copy of the Word of God. And We have an overabundance of truth and knowledge, and may you uh, help us to appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.